Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 31, Balancing. This is the first of our listener-recommended topics for the entire podcast. I mean, that's a big... Do we know who recommended that? We, we don't do... Uh, uh, um, I think a couple people did. Uh, you know, it's, it's um, somebody, some, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to talk about that. That's, that's not important. I mean, I mean, I mean, they are important. I mean, um, it's a, we, we're unprepared. That's, uh, that's what it was. Tom, what, what skill class is, is balancing? Uh, on a scale of, um, zero to 14, I'd have to go with chartreuse. Totally. Yeah. That's, uh, that makes total sense. Yeah, um, seems right in the middle. Yeah. Tanda, uh, what, what research did you do on balancing? I, I've done no research on balancing. I've I've been really poor with balancing my time, and that that would have included spending some time researching balancing. I did a lot of research balancing early on. I could I could balance on pogo sticks and stilts and unicycles. I've done very little or no research on balancing. Tom, how about you? Sidebar, Tom. Yeah. Uh, dude, I, I got to warn you, it, it, it looks like Tanda's trying to muscle in on your non-research. You, you might be out of a job soon. And if she continues, I mean, I don't, I don't I'm not, I mean, dude, you got, you got, you got to rein this stuff in. Cause I feel like, I feel like I've firmly planted myself in a position to never do research. And I don't think she can take that over easily. Let's see, but, but she's trying to, that's what I'm saying. Like you, you. You got to do something. Or we got to talk to the union. I don't know. Something's got to happen. Like she can't not do research. I mean, this is like the fifth week in a row. Yeah, it's 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 getting sloppy. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, oh, here, here, here comes ten, tennis tennis back. So you 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 still didn't haven't done nothing. Oh no, I was just so happy that you called on me first, so I could jump in with the non research. That uh, I I thought I would take advantage of that. Oh oh well, now I know what to do next show. Yeah, now now Tom's on the hook for for having done some mm. research. Mm. Tom, yeah, did you do any research? I I mean I feel like I feel like we answered that. <sighs> um, you know what? I have a small thing to add. I uh, old timey tools. I think sent me a link to the Gershner Toolbox Company. Yeah, and part of their story is exactly what we're going to talk about. He was, I believe, he was a machinist of some sort. And he needed a toolbox that more appropriately f- suited his needs. So he built one, and then everybody around him wanted one, and it just blew up out of that. So he spent time in the shop, on the shop, and it paid off big time. Mm. But go watch those videos. I left a lot a lot of details out. It's, uh, it's a decent story, and they're still making high-quality things. Are those from today? The s- videos? Yeah. Or is they on YouTube? No, they're on YouTube. They're on YouTube. They're on the YouTubes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that uh, Old Timey Tools was doing YouTube videos. No, 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 no. They're not his videos. I'm sorry, I set that up wrong. Um, he sent me a link to Gershner's videos. I'm not. Um, oh. You know what? I think A Bomb even did a video there, if I'm not mistaken. I think that might have been what I watched. Okay. Well, um, I I have no knowledge of these things, so I'll have to check it out. I did do research. On balancing, unlike you two slackers, okay. And uh, there wasn't a lot, but there was some. And uh, if you do some, if you try to put in like balancing as a skill, 
basically what you get is how to teach children to balance. Hmm. And what it came up with was there are three different kinds of balance, which I really didn't think about, but makes sense. There's static balance, which is the ability to stand in one spot, either on two feet or one foot, and not fall over, which is kind of self-explanatory. Then there's dynamic balance, which is the ability to move and balance at the same time while you're, you know, like if you tumble, you stop after running, you dodge, you know, dodging, landing after a jump, you know, climbing, they're all dynamic balance skills. All the things I just mentioned are called locomotive activity, locomotor activity, and that all those things require dynamic balance as a skill. So, so there's that. Uh, the the third and final skill is called axial stability, and this is the ability to balance while turning the body at the same time. Uh, and it could be a horizontal axis, such as bending over to touch your toes or doing a somersault. Um, it could be on the vertical axis, like twisting your midsection uh, to the right or left. And um, these are things that, you know, I think we do every day that we don't even think about. We just kind of lump them all into one category. But children have to learn these like one at a time uh, in order to not be a burden to society, I guess. I don't know. They have to function. Tom, Tom, sidebar. Yeah, yeah, I'm right here. So it's PJ, PJ uh, you know, so I, I, you know, just tried to throw out something about, uh, you know, like pogo sticks and stilts and, and unicycles as, as a joke. And, and I, I was derided for doing that. And then, then he pops in and, and very seriously just talks about teaching kids to balance, which doesn't really have to do with balancing your activities in the shop at all, unless you're like standing on your saw or something. And then just like plays it off as like serious research. I feel I feel a little slighted here. Oh, interesting. I'll, I'll have to take your word for it. I missed it. To be honest, I've been in a sidebar for the last fifteen minutes, and I didn't. Uh, is PJ still talking? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I figure we've got a few more minutes before we come back. I think he launched into some superstitions or something. But uh, all right, I'll come back in. I'll co- oh, here he is. Here, here's PJ. <clears throat> so uh, that's interesting, PJ. I- I didn't know that. I didn't really find it that interesting. That was just all I could find. Yeah, I didn't either. I was just being nice. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. The deal gods have swung back in my favor this week. I've got some awesome deals. But first, we're going to go to the, the big machine king, Tom. What do you got for us this week? Uh, I I honestly don't remember what deals I bought the entire week, so I'm just going to tell you about the deals I got today. Mm. Is that good? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That works. Okay. So as of recording this, we're, we're recording on a Monday. This morning, a friend sent me a Facebook Marketplace listing for a free bandsaw. It's a 14-inch Central Machinery uh, Harbor Freight. It's got broken trunnions. But it's got a one-horsepower motor, and everything else seems to work. He plugged it in, turned it on. It screamed like crazy because it's not set up. Like, he probably shouldn't have turned it on. He gave me a stack of blades to go with it. I think I got them. Oh, I'm just thinking now if I forgot to get them. But anyways, and then I said, oh, you getting rid of anything else? You selling anything else? Like, I would have bought stuff from him, too. And he hands me another one of those little one-inch belt sanders. Like the little Delta ones? The one by 30s? This one's green. It might be Central Machinery. Yeah, yep. 
And um, that works too. He like felt like he had to prove that it worked for me to take it for free. And I appreciated that. So that was this morning. You guys may not have realized this, but I've been wanting like a farm tractor for a long time. Just like, um, you know, I haven't been too... I haven't been like really trying, but I always keep my eye out. It's in my algorithm. It comes up every so often. And today, I bought a farm tractor. It's a 1955 Case, I think. We're really not sure. I don't even know what model it is. The fenders are missing. The hood is missing. It's it's quite... It's, it's like the worst condition it could possibly be in. But it's got a few things going for it. One, it's got a backhoe. Like a, like a 10 foot tall elbow. Maybe... Yeah, it's definitely 10 feet tall. It's very high. It also has a bucket on the front, which is incredibly overbuilt. Like, it, it's a really giant... Like, the, the arms... The arms are like 6x4. Maybe 5x4 tube steel, right? All of the hydraulics are perfectly functioning, which means the tractor is also perfectly functioning. It needs things like a throttle linkage that's just kind of weird and rigged up. It needs to re- be basically just rerun, replaced, whatever. The the um the whole control panel needs to be rewired, but it but it works. Like the key turns on and you can start the like he started it right up. It was cold. I touched the exhaust when I got there and it was cold. He did not prime this thing. And I'm not even sure he's run it in the last few weeks. But he started it right up played with all the hydraulic triggers and just like kind of clicked everything, made sure it all worked, lifted the bucket up and down and then, and then just took off and he drove it and it's beautiful. It's got um, a flat tire. One of the big tires is flat, but he said it held air. Like, so if we pump it back up, it's probably good. You know, it'll probably hold air for over a month, which is plenty fine, right? You can always put a tube in them and you can always repair and patch them too, from what I understand. I have so many questions, Tom. So many questions. Yeah. I mean, the first one, which I think is the most obvious, is how does Mrs. Tom feel about you bringing a hoe back to the house? Uh, uh, well, it's just a backhoe. And, um, Some would say those are the worst kind. Yeah, probably. But I dig it. So the second question is, how much did this run you? All right. I'm going to justify my butt off here. Ready? <laughs> Already is at a disadvantage. It cost me what it would cost me to rent a backhoe for three days. Which is? Uh, what do you think that means? Maybe I'm not right. Do I look like a backhoe kind of guy, Tom? I don't know how much that kind of stuff. You look like a backhoe renter. I'll be honest. I've, I don't rent tools. It would cost you, I, I don't know, maybe uh, 450 500 bucks. Oh, that's cheap. Where do you live? To to rent a I, Oh, man. They're like... A backhoe for... I mean, we we had back a backhoe growing up, so I never rented a backhoe. But I've rented largish equipment around here for like a hundred and twenty five hundred and fifty bucks a day. That's crazy cheap. All right, I live in Connecticut. Everything is very expensive. I mean, that's I mean that's to like rent rent the equipment, not like hire someone to come with a backhoe. Yeah, no, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. over here at Bobcat's like three hundred and forty bucks a day. I paid thirteen hundred dollars. And it's being delivered. Well, that's, I so, mean, that, if the hydraulics work, that's not, I mean, if you, it, it would make a really nice, like we made log, a log splitter for our backhoe where we just took the bucket, uh-huh. bucket off and then weld, made a weldment that was a log oh. splitter. 
which was kind of yeah. cool because you can have a pile of logs and you can reach over and like split logs in one area and then reach it over and split them in another area or whatever. That's brilliant. Um, so, I mean, if it's got good hydraulics, then you can, uh, you know, use it for other things. So I have a log splitter, which I could sell and pay for half of the tractor. I might be wrong about this, but didn't Jimmy DeResta just goes halvesies with somebody and they bought one for like $10,000? Yeah, there's. I don't think I saw theirs, but I'm sh- I'm sure theirs is better. But this isn't. This is a tractor with a backhoe attachment. An actual backhoe is is ten thousand plus. I, I don't. I don't see the difference. No, there's a big difference. I mean, a purpose built backhoe is going to be a much nicer setup. Much stronger. Yeah. So like, I'll be able to dig a trench very nicely, but I'm not going to replace my septic system with this thing. I would try it, though. Well, that's pretty much digging a trench and filling it with gravel and... Deep trench. <laughs> mm. I don't know. I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll meet the... I don't, if, it, if anybody's used machinery like this, um, even a bobcat or, or whatever, um, you very quickly can find the limits of the machine. Like, very quickly. You just honestly go to a tree and try and push it over because you can't. But you can dig all the way around it and yeah, dig up can. all the roots and then push it over. Yeah, you can. Which is kind of fun. Kind of fun. I have a lot of um, stumps because of the... I had a tornado two years ago in Connecticut, of all places. And I have a lot of stumps to dig up and dig around. And I know that's going to take forever and it's not practical, but I have the machine. So, like, why not? I have the time. Tom, does do you have the ability with that to put, like, um, to remove the 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 hoe bucket and put one of those claws on like for picking up logs sure um from what he told me like you might have to move the pin locations a little bit but you could you can buy like a brand new Kubota bucket and put it on this thing like the pins are basically the same distance apart like the four there's four pins on the bucket and two of you know to to articulate it pins connect to the pistons and things like that i'm sorry if i'm not explaining this well um and you can basically buy brand new attachments to put on this 80 year old tractor all right all right well i mean it sounds nice that's cool we had a really cool little dozer when i was growing up that had a it was called a three-in-one bucket and so if you picture like a like a backhoe bucket like the one you just bought but the whole bottom of the bucket opens up Mm mm-hmm out of the way and then it's just flat so it's a blade it's a dozer blade but then the clamshell closes and it's a bucket and we welded teeth on it for picking up logs so you could just go and bite them grab yeah just bite down on logs and haul them off and put them on a trailer i will probably put forks on my bucket like metal just metal protrusions Mm -hmm. so i can just like scoop a log and move it but i can also just hoist it i can throw throw a sling on the log and and pick it up or just throw a chain on it and drag it around. That's going to be its primary function right away. I think that you need to get one of those things that Tanda's talking about and weld on the teeth and then paint the entire thing green and call it Godzilla. I like it. So was there was there anything else? Was that the end of your deals? Uh, uh, yes, but he took... I'm going to go back to this guy's place. He took me inside and he goes, I got a lathe. <laughs> I got a lathe. And he goes, somebody told me I could get like 1500 bucks for it. And I was like, ah, oh, crap, I'm not buying this thing. I walk inside. It's an American tool company lathe. It's, it's got to be a 16-inch swing. 
Um, no, 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 no. I don't mean 16. I mean double that. I mean from the bed to the center of the chuck. Maybe I'm overdoing it. It's probably a 12-inch distance, which means a 24-inch swing. It's got to be at least 8 feet long and and weigh 3 tons. And it's beautiful, but I'm not buying that. It's just that's just ridiculous. And there's no buyers for that. Like I told the guy, "Go list it for 4 grand, but you're going to have to wait until the one guy needs it." Mm-hmm. Um anybody making parts that big are usually like real real deal shops and they're just not using that equipment anymore but he also had which i'm gonna go back for he had a buffalo drill press but like like a jimmy DeResta buffalo drill press oh he had a camelback and i kind of want that it wasn't exactly like that but i didn't have time to inspect it uh i actually set a timer to get out of there and come back to be somewhat on time for this podcast so you guys kind of ruined it for me but let's not dwell on that um, he also had a horizontal mill with, but like the arbor was missing, but on the front of it was a Bridgeport M head, like the whole Bridgeport, like head of a, dr- of a mill was attached to it, which is really how they originally sold those things. That was, you know, the base came later on a Bridgeport. They used to sell just the head and you would attach it to other machines. So that was really cool to see. And I might go buy that and put it on the back of my drill, my, um, Bridgeport, you can put them on the back and swing the turret around if it's cheap enough. And then he also had what I think was a pipe threader. It was a giant machine. It was really big. So I, I'm going to stop there. I got to go back. I got to dig. It was a messy, messy, dirty barn uh, or four car garage, really. It wasn't even a barn. I got to get in there with, with more time and see if I can buy some stuff. Oh, well, it sounds like, you know, you got a uh, a dirty honey hole. That's a, there mm-hmm. might be some stuff. You got to clean it off and find out. Yeah, I'll ask the, the backhoe about the dirty honey hole. Yeah, that's not a conversation I'm going to have, but um, you let us... Edit that out. That's not appropriate for this podcast. Uh, I'll, there, yeah, probably. So, it's beyond the scope of this podcast. Well, talking about the scope that's inside the podcast, I got three deals this week, and one of them is an extra special. But we're going to go in order. First, we've got the Double Dipper. There's this guy that is uh, not far away. He's a couple towns over. And I, at first, I did not know it was a guy that I was talking to. It was a Facebook market ad. And the name is Corrine. Corrine Duke. Now, Duke is the last name, so Duke could be anybody. But this was an old dude. I thought it was some woman. And the ad just says, Jigsaws. And I look on there, and there's an old Mastercraft jigsaw that's like the old aluminum body, no paint or anything. Uh, and that's how they were sold. There never was any paint. And then right next to it, there's a Craftsman auto scroller. But there's one picture, and it doesn't say, like it on the, you can't see that it says auto scroller on it. Like you really couldn't see much of anything. I knew it was an auto scroller because I know what all the auto scrollers look like. And he had listed on there 25 bucks. So I said, how about 15? He's like, okay, fine. So I go, uh, I set up a time and I'm like, you know, what's your address? He goes, I meet at the laundromat. And I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking it's a woman, you know, she wants to meet a safe public place. I'm like, that's fine. So um, I go, I drive to the laundromat and I'm like, I'm here and I'm clicking, you know, I'm in a Dodge Ram and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting 
and I see off in the distance, there's like these apartment buildings way behind me. And there's this old dude like walking down the, you know, I'm just like waiting for somebody to show up. And it looks like he's carrying a dead cat. And I'm like, what the heck? Is, and then he's coming like right for me. And I'm like, oh, this is, that's, that's the auto scroller. That's not a dead cat. So he shows up, I get out, we introduce ourselves and he goes, so which one you want? And I said, what are you talking about? It's both of them for 15. He goes, no, it's 15 each. <laughs> and I said, uh, that's that's not what, I don't think so, no. He goes, yeah, it's 15 each. And I said, man, I really just came for the one, but two sounded like a good deal. And then I look at the auto scroller and the top cap is missing off of the front handle, the part that actually turns the blade if you release it. Um, the The saw has no blade in it and it's got rust on it. So it's, it's not in like, tip-top condition. So I start pointing out the problems. And he goes, oh, I, I didn't even know there was supposed to be a cap on top of there. And I'm like, yeah, look, there's a hole that goes right down into the saw. There's probably been sawdust down in there. That's where all the grease is. I'm like, that's not good. And so like, he's looking at me like examining it and I'm, I'm basically making it like, this is a bad deal. Because it, it was, there's no way I was paying 30 bucks for these two things. And so um, after a little bit of grumbling, and it basically looked like I was going to leave, he's like, all right, you can have both of them for, for 15 <laughs> <laughs> So He walked all that way. I, yeah, yeah. yeah he, he didn't want to carry them back up. You know, so right. was, that was too much for his old man bones. So he, he tried to double dip, but that wasn't, I wasn't having it. So then we have another one which was definitely the special out of the bunch for the week. But I'm going to tell you the deal name at the end because that'll give it away. So I saw somebody had a what I believe to be a 1953 Walker Turner 1200 floor model drill press for sale. And it had originally been for sale for 150. He had marked it down to 100. And I start asking him questions. First, the first thing you see is that the switch is missing off the front. And then the next thing you see is that the motor is a Hoover motor, like Hoover vacuums. It does not have a Walker Turner motor on it. And so I'm like, you know, like basically trying to wear the guy down with everything that's wrong with it. And and he's he's I could tell he's getting grumpy. He's like, look, I just want it gone. And I'm like, okay, well, what's your rock bottom price? He goes, if you can get it out of here by Saturday, you could have it for 60 bucks. And I'm like, done, where are you? So he gives me the address and it's it's just outside of Philadelphia. And so of course I sent a message to Dave over at Parts and Restoration. I'm like, hey man, um, are you busy on Saturday? And he goes, um, not specifically, what do you need? And I'm like, I've got this deal. I was wondering if you could pick it up for me or it's like an hour and 45 minutes, two hours away from me. And he's like, where is it? So I sent him the address and he goes, oh man, this, this is like an hour away from me. I'm like, I had no idea. I, I didn't realize it was that far. I was like, don't worry, man, I'll go pick it up. So Dave couldn't help me. So I drive down there and I'm driving down, I'm listening to podcasts and everything. And I get off at this exit and it's this exit that is easy pass only. And all of a sudden I'm like, that looks familiar. Didn't I get a ticket going through one of these things? Like, cause I didn't have easy pass. I've only had it for like less than a year. And so then I'm driving and I get off the exit and I'm like, this exit looks familiar. 
where does it, where do I remember this? From? And, and I'm like, it's like, I'm just starting to pick up like all these little clues. And then all of a sudden I pull in and I'm, I see the guy's house and it's the pizza guy that I got the Delta DP220 <laughs> drill press from two years ago. The pizza guy. It's the pizza guy. And so I back in, I jump out and he goes, hey, hey. And I'm like, yeah. It's the pizza house, and he starts laughing, and and he of course he totally remembered me. You know, he knew who I was, and I'm like, I had no idea that it was you. He goes, he goes, I figured it out about an hour ago. I was looking from where you were coming from, and I'm like, oh man. So, you know, we start talking, you know, just BSing and everything. I'm like, man, um, well, what what happened? To, where, what did you put the switch on? Because he took a cutler hammer two button switch off of this thing. That was the whole reason he bought it, because those those cutler hammer switches are like two hundred dollars. So he's like, I said, where did you put it? He goes, come on down. So we go down into the basement and he's got, he's a craftsman guy. So everything down there is craftsman or most of it. And he's like showing me the stuff and everything. He's got stuff all taken apart and we're talking. And then across the room, I spot, he's got a wall full of angle grinders. And I'm like, wait a minute, what is that? And I recognize a badge. I walk over there. This guy has a Walker Turner bench grinder. I, I didn't know these things existed. And not only does he have one, but it's on top of a Walker Turner branded, like it's a red stand with a Walker Turner badge, three-legged bench grinder stand. And I, I, I did, I didn't, I've never seen one of these before. And I'm telling him about it. And he goes, he goes, oh yeah, I've never seen another bench grinder, but I saw the stand go for sale a couple, like a year or so ago for about $300. I'm like, wow, that is super cool. Um, so, so this was like, it was just like a family reunion. It was hilarious. So, um, I sent him a friend request, and um, we got to talking about Tom, about your sander, the the sander that you picked up last week. Yeah. And so he had a craftsman version of that sander. And I'm like, yeah, man, I've been trying to find a Delta Rockwell version. He goes, oh, you just missed it. There was one here two weeks ago. It was like two hundred, three hundred dollars. It was the belt with the disc on the side and the cast iron Art Deco base. Wow. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, man. Really? Yeah, Tom is showing me a picture. That is a poorer version of the one that he has. The one he has, Tom, the base went all the way up. It didn't have like that pipe part. It was in much better condition and it was brighter red. But that is that is wow. what he had. Um, I, I didn't know that they made them. I didn't know Walker Turner made bench grinders. That I knew, but I didn't know. So remember that grinder I bought, the one horsepower? It turned out to be a Black & Decker from like the 30s. Right. It had Walker Turner lamps on it from a Walker Turner bench grinder. Now that you're saying that, I remember you saying it, mm -hmm. but I still mm -hmm. had never seen one before. Sure. No, neither have I, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. So it didn't. I didn't make the connection at all. But anyway, the... Hoover motor is a half horsepower. And I started doing research to try to identify the model and everything. And I found something interesting. So the serial number on this is 0000027. And I'm like, wow, I got like a really early one. This is the 27th one to come off the production line. But then I go on vintagemachinery.org to try to like date the thing. And I find two other people that have one. One guy has, his serial number is 00008, 
And I'm like, <laughs> well, now I don't feel like I got another. And then the other guy had number one. Wow. So like the only other two versions of this were lower in serial number than mine. I thought I hit it hit it with like number 27. I'm like, oh, man. So, but anyway. Uh, oh, and the number one guy, his had a floor. It was a mechanical floor foot pedal with a gear, a rack and pinion gear to actually um, activate the handle to push down the drill head. So that was that was super cool. And I know those are very rare because I know um, Dave has, has talked about it over on Parts and Restoration. I think he has one with a foot pedal. So then we get to my last deal, which I got today. Uh, oh, and so that one, um, the name of that deal was It's the Pizza Guy. That was a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I asked him. I said, "How did?" Because I brought him three pizza. I said, "How did it go over with the pizza when I when I left you?" And he goes, "Well, uh, I, I pretty much ate most of it. And I think one box got thrown out." <laughs> I said, "So it didn't go over well with the kids, huh?" He goes, "No, not really." <laughs> so um, today, there's this guy named Lamar. Uh, this one's called the Grinder Gamble. This guy named Lamar was selling a grinder for a friend, and he's got four pictures of it up on Facebook Marketplace. Every one of them is blurry, and the grinder is in the dirt, like on the ground, in the dirt, blurry pictures. And the only thing that stopped me was it said 10-inch grinder. There was no badge on it, but I'm looking at it, and I'm like, this shape looks really familiar. So I start asking a bunch of questions. His friend thinks that it's a Dayton, which is what I thought it was. But I'm looking at the scale, and I can't really tell from the pictures. And I'm like, are you sure this is a 10-inch? Because it looks like a 6-inch. And he was asking 50 bucks. And he gets out a tape measure, and he shows me, he measures the wheel and shows me that it's 10 inches. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, well, listen, there's a problem. Um, the switch doesn't work. You got to plug it in to turn it on and off. I'm like, all right. And he's got it listed for 50 bucks, but I don't want to pay that. I want to pay 40. So I go, is the price firm? He goes, no. What do you want to offer? I said, how about 35? And he goes, no, I can't do 35. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I just shut my mouth and he goes, how about 40? <laughs> Which is what I wanted all along. So he's, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll come get it. So I drive out there. And he's got this thing balanced. There's like a, he's got like the the frame of a trailer and he's got a piece of sheet metal balanced in between like two frame parts and the, the grinder is on top of that. So it's like super wobbly. The thing is massive, okay? It measures 24 inches across, right? We plug the thing in and even on this really bad table, the thing purrs like magic. Like it was so quiet and balanced. I'm like, oh man, that's the juice right there. So I pay him, I take it, and I, you know, I go home and I start doing research. And I'm able to identify it as indeed being a Dayton three-quarter horsepower, 120 volt bench grinder, 10-inch bench grinder, which hmm. I, I looked up on eBay. And they're selling for anywhere from $250 to $350. Nice. This is my only 10-inch, so I will be keeping it. Plus, it doesn't have the badge, so that kind of probably would take away from the value. But 
it's 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 nice uh, and it has both of the um face shields and the only thing that was missing was one of the tool rests um and of course i, I could probably fix the switch or replace it but that was it that was all my deals were those deals hot enough for you you got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket send it in maybe we'll read it on air all right, it's time to talk about personal history. I didn't really cover this, but Tanda kind of touched on it. We're really talking about balancing in the shop between um, working on things in the shop and working on the shop. That was, or, or was it balancing life versus balancing working in the shop? I think there was two, wasn't it? I, no, I think the... I think both questions, I think both listener questions were very similar and they were working in the shop versus working on the shop, essentially. Yeah. Okay. So so that's the personal history that we're going to be talking about right now. So Tom? Yeah. Hit, hit me with it, man. Uh, I, w- I would say I work on the shop way more than I work in the shop, so to speak, but it's I really enjoy working on the shop. I like developing the shop. I like organizing the shop and re- reorganizing the shop. And uh, to the point where I bought that, I, I bought a piece of equipment and one of one of the people I talk to often, I won't call him out, he sends me a message that goes, and so begins the three-month reorganization of the shop. Because <laughs> <laughs> the, last, the last really Lord. big reorganization was when I got my first mill. And I was like, I don't know where to put this thing. And I had a, I had a completely flip everything around. But every time I do it, I get, I get better at it, and things need to be moved less and less and less. So, it's part of the fun, though. Like the curating is part of the hobby. Would you say? Hmm. Well, you tell me. No, I. Well, that's what I'm telling you. Like it or not. Well, it depends. If your, I mean, if your hobby is is making a really cool shop. Then it's right in your wheelhouse. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, if your if your hobby is production of your whatever it is you make in your shop, right? Then then it starts to, you know, kind of get kind of get blurry. And I think I think my journey in making will evolve that in that direction over time. Like I do have a couple of customers; they're very small and. But it's a nice little, you know, side, some uh, nice revenue. And I think if I keep going that direction, I'll I'll probably work less and less on my shop and and just do things that streamline my production. But I don't have to do that right now. Even with the old machinery, like I fully intend to utilize and use all of that machinery. But a big part of why I buy it, other than selling it, is the curation of it. Is that a word? Curation? Mm-hmm. Curating it. Like a museum. Mm-hmm. Like right. a... Res- not res- not even necessarily restoring it, but just getting it working and cleaning it up and tinkering with it and making something. Like that screw machine I got, it's a really good production machine for small round parts. And I eventually want to develop a small round product to sell. You know, I'll do a production run of 100 or 200 um, you know, actual machine time on 200 pieces is probably only an hour or two. It's probably six weeks of setup, but, you know, something like that is fun, but it's, I really do like working on the shop and I'm okay if I'm not actually making things like I'm okay with that 
because I do I do make plenty of things. Like I my 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 things quota is sufficient, so I can still call myself a maker. Even if you're working in your shop and working on your shop, I mean you're still making. I mean you're still designing right. your shop. So I think that totally. qualifies. For for those of you out there that are less couth, just just to clarify, curating means that you are organizing things or arranging things in a a manner that flows well together, sort of like feng shui. So the only reason I know this is because I actually curated a section of an art exhibit and I didn't know that that's what it was called because someone just said, hey, do you want to organize these paintings? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do it because I've got a good eye for that kind of stuff. And somebody walks up and he's like, where did you learn how to curate this stuff? And I'm like, <laughs> I did it about five minutes ago. Yeah, that's how I learned it. <laughs> I don't know what curate means. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what, and for the longest time I couldn't even remember the word. It was bizarre, but I I think that you know if you're enjoying it, man, that's the whole point. Yeah, I uh, I talked to Chris Zepp over at Make Everything Shop frequently, and uh, we we kind of joke about how much we work on our shops versus in our shops, and and he's like. He's like, reorganizing my shop is 50% of my business plan. Like, that's all he does is just move around. <laughs> it's working for him, though. Chris has more stuff than I think all three of us combined. That's yeah. Like, he's got a lot of stuff. I do have more lathes than him, though. Be. That was made clear on Instagram. <laughs> well, Tanda, how is the balance in your shop? How do you want to give us Give us the business here. What does it look like? I would say that uh, I'm kind of on the opposite end of the of the spectrum. I don't mind working on my shop, but I, I kind of have to, and I'm really struggling right now because I tend to work on things in my shop, making things for a long period of time. And that, you know, kind of the mess and the disorganization accumulates. And then I take a day or two days or, you know, as long as it takes and I total, and I reorganize and I clean and I, I, you know, I have an idea for how I want to set stuff up. But I'm not very good about just organizing, you know, just going out in the shop and and spending an hour organizing or spending 30 minutes organizing. I kind of it's kind of has to be like this major project. And with my time being kind of divided now, you know, the shop is falling into disarray. But I'm hoping to take you know just a whole weekend and go in and organize the shop. But I, and I've, you know, it's been my business for a long time or for various, you know, portions of my career, my shop has been my business. And so it kind of is that same working in your business versus working on your business. That transition can be, can be really difficult when you get to the point where you start hiring people to do things that you would like to do yourself, but you know, you need to hire people. And during that period, I really enjoyed working on my shop. Because when I had other people getting the work done, the day-to-day work done, then all I did was work on the shop to make them more efficient, to make the whole process more efficient, to do little ancillary things that, you know, were just cool to have around the shop. And so if I didn't, if I don't have work to do or to get out the door, then I really enjoy working on the shop. But it seems to always be a secondary activity. Not not something that I just, you know, do for a couple hours. So, Tanda, how many times have you actually managed to take a weekend to clean up? A, a, a number of times, but it only happens, you know, maybe 
you know, two or three times a year, four times a year, depends on the shop and, and the activity that I really, you know, I'll go months without doing a reorganization or making something. I don't even, I can't think of the last thing I made for my shop, like that I used one of my machines to make something, you know, a rack or a shelf or a, it was probably when I first moved the mill in and I made holders for my tooling and some shelves and reorganized my toolboxes and stuff for for the mill. And that's been quite some time. Well, I mean, you guys are like polar opposites. That's what it sounds like. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, Tom's default is to work on his shop. And then, but if he's got stuff to make it's like oh i need to i need to make time for making this thing and that interrupts my working on my shop and i'm kind of the opposite you are but, but you're also in a very different part of your career and i think not that i mean i want to be you but not that i want to be you the point is like i think i'm headed towards somewhere towards your direction in the next 20 years does that make sense so when when production actually oh totally totally yeah i mean there was a time when yeah. when i was your age when i was accumulating tools yeah and and dreaming of my ideal shop that you know like right out of college when i was working for someone else and i was just accumulating tools and equipment with the dream of having my own up and running shop so i think right. it, you know definitely yeah and i've had a little bit of that transition where i'm like well, I'm going to spend $1,200 on a Festool Domino because it's going to increase my production on the one customer. And and it did. Like, I'm, I've am i got that customer from four hours to one hour, and I my prices haven't changed because I've tooled up. You know, it's my my process is more expensive. And that's nice. Like, and we were just talking about how I want to get a saw stop because it's just a nice new saw. And I would have never considered that even a year ago because I buy and sell so many tools and I enjoy that and I enjoy using the old tools but sometimes you're like I just want that thing to be new like and that's more important when you are production minded maybe and not that I'm going into production on anything for a table saw but well I yeah and I and I think that it also it changes as you start doing it if you're making things for other people um, sometimes you want that thing to just work right I mean I don't if I have a job to do, I don't want to spend time getting the machine working and I don't want to worry about the machine not working when I need it to work. Totally. And so then you, you end up buying a different class of machine, not necessarily new, but you end up right. searching for nicer, better condition equipment because you don't want to be working on the equipment. You want to be working with the equipment. Right. I just bought that new miter saw for this one customer. I haven't needed a miter saw in my shop for a few years because I think most of the time they're useless to me I'm not that's not a broad not uh, telling everybody to throw out their miter saw but it just took up too much space so I bought like the smallest one that did the job I wanted and it was a and it's like a good saw you know I, I wanted a good saw I would have spent more money on a smaller saw that did you know a perfect job now PJ you're also the opposite of all of us a little bit aren't you Yes, I live in total chaos. That's uh right. Yeah. So you're uh, you'll tell me I'm wrong. I don't have to tell you to tell me I'm wrong, but you you definitely I'm not bringing your makerhood into 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 court here, but you don't make things as much as you do junk hunt. Fair? Totally. 
Totally. Yeah, I am. I I was just talking to uh, to uh, Jason Nix over to Tool Scrounge, and I, I said, you know, you and me are less makers and more repairers. That's what we do. We fix stuff. We're fixers. And like I, I rarely make things. Like I when I when I first sort of pushed into the maker community, I was making a lot more, but I was more. How do I put this? I was struggling to find my place in the community. I'd always made things, so that really wasn't like in question. But I was trying to figure out how I wanted to present myself. I come from a 11-year professional troubleshooting background, fixing electrical mechanical print systems. But prior to that, I was also repairing things. I just wasn't getting paid for it. And when I started my YouTube channel and I was making things, nobody cared. Uh, for whatever reason, nobody cared. So that was very, um, there was no reward for me to do all the work of the video. I was making things for myself, so I needed the things that I was making. But there was no point for me to share that stuff if no one was going to watch it. So I started digging into the things that were more rewarding to me, and those things happened to be repairing tools. I am. I started making this list, uh, I think, last year, and I never finished it. But I've got a list of people. It's called the Toolist. The Toolist list. It's a bunch of Toolists. These are people that are tool-focused. Mm -hmm. For instance, like uh, uh, Andrew Alexander is the anvilator because he's got all the anvils. And, uh, you know, Jimmy Duresta is the tool collector because he's got, like, one of everything. And... Um, you know, you've got like uh, Izzy Swan, and he's uh, uh, what's the name of his club? The Tool Masters. Tool. Yeah, I think so. Tool Masters. I think that's what it is. So he's the Tool Masters. So like every, I had like all these different people. And I gave them all like uh, you know, they're like superhero names, but for tools. I, I'll, I'll eventually finish it one one day. But I I see it as I don't know. There's many different areas as far as why I do tools versus making things. But getting back to the balance in the shop, uh, I and I've described my process many times. Basically, my shop is total chaos. So when I come in and start working on something, you you could start a timer, and it's never going to be right as to far as how long I'm working on that thing before my mind jumps to something else. And in the process of all that jumping, I might realize I need something, like I need to make something for the shop. And so then I will stop. I might be in the middle of five different projects and I'll be like, oh, I need something to hang this thing on. And I'll spend two hours manufacturing something that I can hang a tool from somewhere in the shop just because I need it. So it's it's totally unplanned. Uh, is, is there a balance? There's a balance in the chaos, but that's not some place that most people can live. I live there comfortably. Is that kind of like a tremor in the force? Balance in the chaos? Mm, I, I'm, it's a nice comparison, but I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. Um, I, I wasn't being serious. Most people, okay, so here's my perception of most people. If you throw them into a chaotic environment, it's kind of like dropping a squirrel in the middle of your living room. It's just going to like go bananas because it has nowhere to hide. It's going to run all over the place and it's just going to be like really stressed out. It's not in its environment and all it wants to do is escape. 
That's how I view most people when dropped into chaotic situations. I am the complete opposite. If you drop me into something like that, I am completely calm and I'm just sizing everything up going, oh yeah, where are the goodies? Because that's, that's just how my brain works. I didn't make my shop chaotic on purpose. That was just the natural evolution. Like if you look at videos of my shop from like three years ago, it was, I, don't, I won't say barren, but it was nowhere near where it's at right now. Like it is, it is fully laden. It is tool laden. Whereas before I was building up tools and there were tools there, but there was like a respectable amount of workspace and that is gone. There is no balance for me as far as I don't have anything planned and I don't try to plan anything. I don't even make the attempt. Um, as far as like cleaning up the shop goes, I've said it numerous times. When I walk into the shop, the first thing I do is I try to put things away. Not everything, just some things. You know, you do a little bit every day and that that's how it stays, you know, somewhat in order. The main thing for me is if I have tools out that I've been working on something and that thing is done, I put those tools away. So that way I know where they are. That's That's the main, if I had to say there was any kind of routine, I want the tools that I use regularly where they belong. And that's really the only rule that I kind of follow in the shop. Everything else is like, like today, I, I didn't do a single Instagram story. And I was, old timey tools had given me this four inch bullet vice last year. Uh, I think it was, I don't know, October, something like that. And it's been sitting on my bench, just taking up space. Four inch bullet vice is big. They're not small vices. It's taking up a huge chunk of space and he had sandblasted the thing. So it's like bare metal just sitting there like waiting to rust again. So I'm like, all right, well, I, I got to get this thing painted. In order to get it off the workbench, it's got to get painted. I started, uh, I don't know, two, three days ago, I started the process. I taped everything off. I sprayed one side with uh, gold paint, flipped it over the next day, sprayed the other side with gold paint. And then today I took, I've got my special uh, Hammerite blue hammer paint and I taped off all the gold parts that I wanted to keep. And then I layered on that paint, which is thick. It's like glue. And then tomorrow I'm going to flip it over and do the other side. And so uh, I, I like that was unplanned as far as like, did I know I was doing it a week ago? I have to, I have to paint that in order to clean up because if I, I don't do it, then it's just going to sit there for another like six months and be in my way. Yeah, I think one of the things that, that I struggle with is is saying yes to a number of things, but they're radically different. I think if I was just machining things for people, then I could keep a, a nice, you know, clean machine shop. But where I'm doing welding and electronics and laser stuff and a little bit of woodworking, then I seem to forever be like, I, I clean up and organize for a welding project. And to do that, I like cover up stuff or I move stuff out of the way that could get weld spatter on it. And then I find myself reorganizing for a different style of project. And so, you know, I, I think it's a, a situation that probably a lot of makers face where you've, you're doing everything in your one space. And so it's very difficult to organize that space to be optimal for everything you might want to do. It's just, it, you can't do it. You have to kind of 
put stuff off to the side and you can organize for one type of task, but then you're not going to be welding over the top of your 3D printer. You know, so you're going to have to juggle. And I don't know, I mean, maybe making convertible furniture or something like that, if I were more bent on on making my shop, you know, working on my shop, maybe I'd do better at, at kind of making that where it could be easily converted. But I just move it out of the way, pile it up somewhere else, do that project, and and then reorganize for the next one. I'll give you an example of something that's been kicking around in my head for probably about the last two months. I now have, that are my personal use, about nine or ten angle grinders, okay? And they don't fit in the current setup. Like I have a shelf with four of them, and then I have two or three of them in a milk crate below that shelf, and then I have two that are sitting on the workbench, and I think I have another one that's off somewhere else in the shop. And I need a way to organize them centrally so they're all together and they're all like taking up the appropriate amount of space. And so the thought that has come to mind is uh, I Paul Jackman years ago made these their their pull out pool hanging walls, I guess is the way to put them. They're like like the tall drawers where you can hang tools inside. Yeah, sort like of the like vertical that. drawers. Yeah, I yeah. remember that. So his his I think he was like just kind of like it was almost like a tool wall where he's putting drills in there sideways and then pulling them out and stuff. So what I want to do is I've seen a bunch of people make these angle grinder holders where they like the spindle goes into a slot and then it hangs from there and then some of them have hooks for the cords and stuff. So what I was thinking is maybe what I need to do is I need to reorganize underneath this workbench, which is metal. It's the one that's got all my bench grinders on top and put in two of these pull out walls, pull out tool hangers and organize it in such a way that I can fit all of the or the majority of the angle grinders there. But in order to do that, I'm going to have to remove some of the stuff that's under there already. So that means that's going to get reorganized somewhere else into the shop. That's something that I've been thinking about for two months, but I haven't fully settled on it. Now, you use all of these angle grinders? I mean, like, they're they're not just angle grinders you have. You actually, like, in a, in a given project, you pull out a different angle grinder? Every single one of the angle grinders has a different attachment on the head. So I've got one that has a flap disc, uh, one that has a cutoff wheel, one that has a wire wheel, uh, one that has a like a flat wire wheel, one that has a cup wire wheel. I just bought um, two different grits of uh, Scotch-Brite wheel for for like polishing and buffing. Right. So you just so you just don't change wheels. You nope. just grab the angle grinder that has the appropriate wheel on it. It's just like Tom. It's it's an efficiency thing. You know, he he he's buying tools to make himself more efficient. I don't want to be aggravated by that kind of stuff. Like it's not really aggravating, but it's a, it's a waste of time. You know, I can pick up, you know, like I've got, matter of fact, I've got two Thor angle grinders. One of them needs a complete rebuild. Um, but I love the, okay, I love all the tools. That's why I have them. Mm-hmm. And what is the point of picking one and swapping the head out when I only get to use that one and then the other ones are just unused in a box or something? When I could use all of them one at a time and it'll speed up my efficiency. I would say to sell them and make money. That's my idea. But I totally get that. I have two of the rigid trim routers 
one of them always has a quarter round and one of them always has an eighth round. Like, I just, that's, it's annoying to set those. So I get it. I sell the ones that I don't want. Sure. That's, that's just how it goes. You know, if it's, if it's not of interest to me, like right now, I think the Thor, the Thor grinders are the only two that I have. Every other angle grinder, I only have one. I've got a, I've got like a Dewalt. I've got a variable speed Makita. I've got a Hilti. I've got a Milwaukee. I've, I've, I, like every other one I have, it's an individual brand. So I have like one of every brand that I'm interested in, you know? And I think that to me is also a way of sort of product testing. I'm seeing like, which one do I like as far as the performance goes? Um, mm-hmm. But I also have gotten deals on every single one of them. I didn't pay a lot of money for any of them. Uh, there was the the Dewalt and the and the uh, variable speed Makita. I actually originally bought to resell, and then I got them home. I did not realize that the Makita was variable speed, and I'm like, I probably should keep that. And then the Dewalt one had a um, a nice safety paddle trigger. And I'm like, I like that paddle trigger. Like that's, I'm very particular about angle grinders because those things can really mess you up. So if it's got a nice setup and they're not all the same, DeWalt makes like 20 angle grinders. And some of them are, in my opinion, a little dangerous, like more so than the others. Mm -hmm. So when you find one that's good, that like fits into your workflow, you keep it. Sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy lubes and stuff. Hello, this is Chet down at Johnson's Hardware. We understand that sometimes it's hard to balance your work in the shop versus working on the shop. And if you can't quite keep it together, we have just the solution for you. Introducing the Johnson's Banana Balance Blaster. We've got a monkey-operated bazooka loaded with bananas, and the monkey monitors your progression. If you're working too much on the shop or not enough, he'll hit you with some bananas. Of course, it's a tasty treat, but you have to keep in mind, it's serious business. You need to keep your shop balanced. Blaster operation precautions include premature activation by circus music. Monkey should remain leashed at all times. Monkey also sold separately. Use genuine bananas. Plantains not recommended, but plantain adapters available in certain areas. If you would like to purchase your banana balance blaster for only $14.95 in eight easy installments, please contact us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What well, I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. What skill goes well with shop balancing? Tom? Design? You look totally confused. What? Let's, let's go. Can I? Can we do design or is that on hiatus again for another 30 episodes? If you can prove that design goes with shop balancing, yeah. Let's hear it. No, I can't. I just, I can't. I just wanted to put that out there. I mean, shop, or, I don't know. I mean, I want to say something lame like organizing or cleaning or one of those things. I feel like I can come up with something better than that, though. Time management. Have we used that before? I don't know, but that's a good one. It is a good one. So, time management, um, I mean, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, do a glue up and then clean up. Like, that's part of that balance. It's like finding those moments within the moments to, to do things. I'll even, what happens most of the time, let me give you guys a secret. The most inspirational thing I can do is clean up because I always get halfway through 
and then something sparks and I want to make something so I never fully clean anything so that's so that that time management to you know but it all goes into that balance I don't know I'm not landing this plane anytime soon so you might want to take over all right well Tanda what do you think since since Tom can't complete a sentence I, I think that uh, that I want to avoid anything that Tom just said was lame, and so uh, uh, I don't want to give one of the lame answers having already been called out as being lame, but uh, I think for me, and I don't know, um, I, I think a skill I need to develop is is the ability to say no if I don't have the time or resources to make something. I think that's what leads to my imbalance in the shop is an inability to to just say you know I don't have time or I'm not set up to do that if it's interesting and I and it's possible to get set up to do something I'm likely to still say yes or if I have zero time I've got 20 projects already I'm still likely to say yes and so I think that the the skill that I need to pair with the shop balance is uh is being able to, um, and maybe this is a different way of saying time management, but is the ability to say, you know, I'm up to my eyeballs. I really can't take on anything else. Or, oh, that sounds like a lot of fun, but I don't need to add another machine or another process. It sounds like what you're trying to say, Tanda, is decision-making. I think it's more the power of no. That is decision-making. Yeah, but it's one decision and you should make it more. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I make the decision to say yes. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Oh, so. he's saying you suck at that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, th- I think my interest my interest in making things overrides my better judgment. Um, yeah. And so I, I say yes to things because I, I really want to make something or I really want to help somebody. And that ends up leading me down, down that road. That is, I think that's a lifelong struggle. Uh, I noticed that like somewhere around my 20s, I realized that I never said no, like ever. And I just, I said I could do things that I just had no business even trying just to be helpful. Like I had good intentions and I started saying no a lot more and, and I'm not perfect at it. I mean, there's a broken Adirondack chair in my driveway that I just don't want to fix for this person. Not because of the person, but because it's just, I don't do that, but there's strings attached. Anyways, it's really important to say no a lot. You have to say no more than you say yes. Uh, you should have more opportunities flowing in than, than not. And um, I don't know, it's tough. So I'm with you on that. Yeah, so that's that's something I'm working on. PJ? PJ? What do you think pairs well with shop balance? I know I'm going to get a lot of flack on this already because I'm not even sure if it's a skill, but I believe it is. Tom, Tom Tanda, side, sidebar? Tanda, sidebar? <laughs> side, <laughs> double sidebar? Are, are, you, are you prepared to give Tom flack? I mean, I, PJ? Think, I mean, when he comes Did back, he's the... going to say something and we should be, we should be prepared. I think, I think we should like just edit whatever he says completely out and just like skip to the next segment. I think that's I a great like, idea. I think that would be right? perfect ex- except, except PJ's our editor. So listen, we're, we're going <laughs> to let him say what he wants to say and then I'll just wrap it up and we'll just cut that whole part out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That All sounds, right. that sounds good. We'll try oh, it. We'll try it. All right, it. there he is. All right, here he comes. So, so PJ, what goes well with shop balance? Well, what I think goes well with shop balance is... 
And and uh, that's our segment. So uh, let's move on to. Good evening. This is Walter Walterson. It's time for the freaking fireside filibuster. All right. Our our skill topic tonight brings up an interesting opportunity. I happen to have a a specific. Well, I don't think it's a skill set, but it's a mindset, and it feel it it really chimes in with the balancing. And this is something that I've been doing probably for about the last 20 years. And I have what's known as a detached lifestyle. And that may sound a little weird to most people because most people don't know what that means. Most PJ, I know I know what it means, but maybe you could explain it for everybody. That'd be great. Well, I'm going to. I'm going to, Tom. Okay, good. Yeah, because I know I could tell Tanda really wants to know. The majority of people out there are attached to things. Okay. You have expectations from people. You have expectations from things you have. And what happens, let's say, 80 to 90% of the time is the people or things disappoint you. The things break. The people don't do what you want them to do. And then what happens is you get disappointed, you get upset, and then you're unhappy. And this creates the majority of discomfort in daily life. So the way that I live my life is I don't expect anything from anybody and I don't expect things, period. I hope for things. I hope things are going to happen all the time. But the thing is, when you hope for stuff and it doesn't happen, it's like, eh, okay, well, I can keep hoping for it. Maybe it'll happen tomorrow. You know, it doesn't bother you. You don't have that pattern. You break out of that cycle of disappointment. And I'll give you an, an instance from today. I had one deal that I picked up today for that grinder, but I was supposed to have two deals. I was supposed to go and pick up a vice, and the woman that I'm picking it up from forgot to bring it to work with her. So she texted me and she's like, I forgot the vice at home. So that like, that was part of my day that I had planned out. I was gonna go drive and go get that. But I'm like, okay, well, how about tomorrow? I didn't, I didn't start a fight with her and be like, listen, you daft idiot. How could you forget a vice? Didn't you remember we just talked yesterday? You should have known to bring it with you. Why didn't you put it in your car last night? Like that's, see, that's the, the attachment. Somebody that's angry because somebody didn't do what they expected them to do. But in, as far as I'm concerned, I look at it as an opportunity. So the place I've got to go to get the vice is an hour away. So immediately what I start doing is I start looking for other opportunities that weren't available the day before, but are available today. And so I found a second deal that was not far away from where I have to go to get the vice. I contacted the guy, made him an offer, he accepted it, and now I have two deals to pick up tomorrow instead of just one. Whereas if I had gone today, I would have only got the one deal. So by not being attached, it leaves you open to more opportunities. Your mind is is freed up from all of the negative energy. And this comes into play with balance, as far as like balance in the workshop, balance in your life. It's it's very, very difficult to be balanced when you're constantly unhappy. So that's the general gist of it. When I hear you explain that, my initial reaction is like, there's something sad about that, okay? And I'm not judging you, but there's something about that that I'm like, there's something sad there, but, and I'm not sure I can explain that, but 
There's also something extremely healthy about it, and that's kind of what I want to focus on. You know, not being caught up in the, what I would call the the sitcom situations, where you're supposed to be upset about something. Mm -hmm. And being able to let go of those normal, because those are normal, uh, those normal reactions and and issues, and, and rather be weird and don't let those things bug you and bother you, I think is extremely healthy. It's an interesting topic. I'll think more. I think it kind of depends also on whether your your hope for something is, you know, maybe maybe it doesn't live up to your hopes, but you're not you're not real um depressed over it or something. I mean, I've been around people whose attitude was and they said this over and over was always expect the worst and you'll never be disappointed. But they lived in this kind of like really kind of depressed state cuz it didn't even matter if, if there was a 99% chance it was going to go right. They still expected the worst. And if whatever was going to happen was three days out, they spent three days worrying about something that never happened. Yeah, PJ, I think that's part of... Not that I'm trying to explain this, but that's part of what I mean by, like, it, like there's a component to it that sounds sad to me. But, like, you know, it's almost like you've been burned so many times that you don't want to rely on people like that kind of mentality and i know that's probably not what you're talking about but i think the difference the difference is if you're if you're hopeful and optimistic but then you're you're okay with it not turning out that's completely different than if you're totally pessimistic until it happens right and then only happy right at the moment that that something good happens yeah and that's cool so i think it's kind of depends on your your attitude you know kind of your baseline attitude about it before it changes Right. Or before that event, you know, goes south. So, Tanda, your friend's example of always expect the worst, I would never want to be around that person, ever. They live in a world of literally. Right. Their baseline state is just like the world's falling, and they're they're only pleasantly surprised for that moment that things go right, even if things go right 90% of the time, but that event only happens, you know, at the end of this long worry about it. Right. So there, I have, I have friends of the family that all they do is complain. Like that is, that is how they relate to the world. They complain about everything. It doesn't matter. Like it could be a bright, sunny day. They're complaining. It's too sunny. Yep. You know, it's, it, it doesn't matter. There's, the only time you'll ever hear me complain about anything is if it's funny. If there's if I can make a joke out of it, I will complain just to make somebody laugh. But I really don't care. Like it doesn't like it's first off it's super hard to make me angry because I am detached from everything. You know, literally everything. It's it's like you in order to be angry, you have to care about something enough to be angry about it. But like if you know, yeah, Tom and I work on this every week on a weekly basis. Week. We we really <laughs> my try, life's goal. try to try to make PJ angry, <laughs> and occasionally uh, I I think that he uh, he finds humor in it. I guess just so. just Tanda, just I can't wait for episode thirty seven where we just don't show up. <laughs> we just ghost them. We're we, gonna we, ghost. We, we just keep telling him I'm gonna be there in five minutes. <laughs> And then and then we just do that for as long as he'll wait for us to show up for the podcast. And then send the invite, but don't let him in the meeting room. Oh, that would that would work as well. Yeah. 
Well, that's just mean. Oh, shoot. I, I thought we were in a sidebar. Oh, dang it. <laughs> no, did you? Tom, you've got to hit the button. I you've got, got to I learn how to button. hit the button. <laughs> I thought I was still in the sidebar from the beginning of the episode. I'm sorry. Tom's been in a sidebar for an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> we, we were kidding. We were we were kidding, PJ. Yeah. We just just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I think I think that I let other people off very quickly as far as being upset with anyone. I get upset or I'm like, oh, that, you know, that, that made me, you know, so mad. And that, that lasts for like 10 seconds. I mean, I go from, oh, that was annoying to, but these things happen like incredibly quick for anybody but myself. I, I don't do that for myself. Um, so if I disappoint myself, I beat myself up, but everybody else, I, I, I let off very quickly or I, or I just don't, you know, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt. I think it's important to make a clear distinction here. Like just what you brought up, it is okay to react to things. You know, it's like, if you, like, if you have like a fight, like if, look, if I'm driving and somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm going to unleash about 10 seconds of cursing and then it's done. You know, like I get it out of my system and then I'm fine. I'm not going to like that doesn't ruin my whole day. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. I move through that like incredibly quick. I don't know that you can keep from having a reaction. That's just human. Right. But you can move through it very quickly and dispense with it. Well, the point I'm trying to make is what I'm talking about is not it, it's not a form of being like less human. You know what I mean? Like I still have all the reactions. But the other thing to keep in mind is, which is not directly related to the detachment, but being in control of yourself, you choose how to react. Like if someone gets in your face and starts screaming and yelling at you, you have the option to scream and yell back. You have the, you, you have the option to start laughing at them or you could just stand there and do nothing. Like you, you have the choice uh, most people would scream and yell back because that's what they've been programmed to do. And what I'm trying to say is be aware of your programming and make your own decisions. Make the opposite decision sometimes just to do something different and see how it feels. I think this might apply as far as the mentality goes. Um, when I'm parenting my kids, it, it can be it can be a vicious cycle of just like yelling at kids sometimes. When really, you know, you could structure you could structure things much differently. I'll give you an example. My son is six. He just got into the Rubik's cube a little bit, which I got into a couple of years ago because I felt like I just needed to know how to do it, right? And I was like, oh, this is a challenge. I'll figure this out, and I did. I mean, I you watch YouTube videos. It's algorithms you got to memorize. It's not a puzzle. It's a it's a execution game. And he wanted a better one. And, you know, a decent Rubik's Cube is like six bucks on Amazon. A really good one is 30 to $60. And they have magnets in them, so they snap together, like, when you twist it. And it's actually really nice, and it can speed up. It can take seconds off of your time, which is a big deal. So I said, well, you can take mine, which was about $30. And I said, if you, if you lose it, you'll just have to buy one. He goes, well, can I just buy one? I said, sure. And he's got some money in his piggy bank upstairs. So I said, here, why don't you pick one out and we'll buy it and you give me 30 bucks and, and that's that. And the whole idea is that if he loses it, I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to get mad at him. The punishment for losing it is he needs to buy another one for 30 bucks and that hurts. Like 
the the idea is to set up the punishment to be self-evident and and not like the punishment isn't you need to buy another one for $30 and dad's mad like that's unnecessary i know as a parent you're thinking about these things and you're trying to like predict situations that are going to happen in the future and you're trying to teach your son lessons i'm going to offer you an alternate perspective and say if i was in your shoes instead of trying to prepare for him losing it or him breaking it or him doing anything i would just have him pay for it and be like here you go and i wouldn't think anything about it i wouldn't expect anything i wouldn't prepare anything i would just whatever happens happens he did no that's what we did i'm sorry right what, what i'm saying is but you're having this mental process oh we've, oh. we've talked about this i'm saying just totally get rid of that whole mental process of if he breaks it or if he loses it and just let it happen. Right. And as it happens, that's when you when basically you're reacting to the thing that's in front of you. You're not reacting to something that hasn't happened yet. Just allow it to exist however it's going to like the, the situation you're talking about may never occur. But you're sitting there like trying to wrestle with how should you not be angry with him and have this lesson. And what I'm saying is change your mindset to if this comes up for something else, don't predetermine your reaction or anything. Just allow it to occur. And, and whatever happens, like observe him, observe what happens to your son. Right. Because he's, you know, he's probably going to get upset and then he's going to look to you and see how you're reacting. Right. And there's no need for you to have any kind of predetermined response. No, sure. It was just it was just one of a thousand examples. I mean, these types of things happen every day. Sure. Even, you know, interactions between brothers and like, you know, I'm talking about punishment, but he gets hurt because he's goofing around. Like the pain of whatever he hurt is enough. Sure. Like that was the punishment, right? That's what I mean. So like these stereotypical reactions that parents have, I still have them. I'm not perfect. But they're totally unnecessary most of the time. And I'm just trying to relate to what you're kind of talking about where you don't have the sitcom response. You kind of are above that or around that. Let's just say that I have I have no response until there is one that's needed. Right. Like I, I'm look at me as just being completely neutral. And then when something happens and I observe it, then I'm like, okay, what are my options? And because I'm not I'm not trying okay. I had a family member that was taking care of a small child. And a small child started screaming, as small children tend to do. And so what she did was she started screaming also. And this stopped the child from screaming and just was staring at the family member. And she just, and there was like a moment of silence. And she goes, yeah, it sounds pretty dumb, doesn't it? And then there was no more screaming because the kid didn't know what to do because no one had ever done that before. No one had ever screamed with them. And they're like, I'm trying to get attention. Now this person's trying to get attention. What am I supposed to do? It's a total confusion. That's so, that's great parenting advice, Tom. So next time you go to the store, just scream all the way up and down the aisles. <laughs> lay do down. It. Try laying down in the aisle, kicking your feet, you know, whatever you want. Just just it's let like, it all out. And then the next time you go to the store and you say, hey, kids, you want to go to the store with me? And they'll be like, no, no, I'll just stay home. Yeah. I'll stay home with mom. <laughs> and then you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about kids screaming in the store anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you see, now they wear masks in the store, so I can just like put duct tape under their mask and it's fine. It's totally cool. Also an option. Definitely. Yeah, that works. 
I'm just sitting here the whole time thinking, man, I must be old because, you know, in my day, Rubik's Cubes weren't just, I mean, they didn't come with, here's the sequence you do, you know, to, to solve the Rubik's Cube and you look it up online. They came in a in a box and you had to figure it out yourself. Yeah, but you didn't figure it out, did you? I did, yeah. No way. No, you peeled off the stickers and you put them back on the place that they fit in the same color. No, I mean, I mean, it was like, you know, I mean, this was when they came out. And so someone would be like, oh, I figured out how to get everything on the top to work. Here's how you, here's how you do that. And it's like, oh, yeah. I figured out if you get everything to the top, here's how you can switch the corners. And so there was like a little bit of collaboration between myself and some friends. Yeah. But there was no place you could go. There was like... It wasn't like they came with a solution thing. Right. You just you just bought them. Did you know if you twist it diagonally and then pop, you can push and pop the pieces out of and disassemble the entire thing. So so I have a uh-huh. kind of a kind of a funny Rubik's cube story. When I was uh, when I was in high school, I went to uh, um, I went to Europe on a on a student ambassador thing, and we would stay with people in different countries. And I had learned to solve the Rubik's cube, and we really did have to teach ourselves and learn how to solve it. And so the homestay family I had, they had these two little boys and they had a Rubik's cube. And so they were like, oh, you can solve it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I like, so I start to solve it and I get it like mostly solved. And, and I'm like, um, the white center side, there's, there's no way this piece can be, uh, can be <laughs> on that side. Because you can't have a piece with like a green and a red on the white center side. And one of them's face just like dropped. And they and he had you know he had so he had, he confessed that he had pulled off the stickers and tried to tried to solve <laughs> it and awesome. it, and then they didn't stick back on on right but yeah it kind of put him in a bad spot. That was the freakiest fire cideriest filibuster I've ever heard. I am Walter Walterson. Good night. All right, it's time for short and sweet. Tom, you got any final thoughts to wrap up the show? Yeah, two thoughts. Uh, one, I just looked up my Rubik's Cube record, and I'm at 1 minute, 4 seconds, and 173 thousandths, which is not fast. You know how much faster the world record is? Mm-mm. An entire minute faster. And if you need a reminder, my time is 1 minute, 4 seconds. <laughs> it's insane. So, um, it's been many years since I had a Rubik's Cube, but I can say, without doubt... I have never solved it. Yeah. Not once. So I've I've picked one up recently and and worked at it and it took way more than minutes. I mean, I we're talking like, you know, 8 or 10 minutes. Not nothing fast. We never I mean, there was no sense of okay, now how fast can you solve it? I can solve it every time. I mean, we we were at the point where you solved it and 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 that was it. That was you solved the puzzle. I can do it under 2 minutes cold. I was happy I if I got one side all the same color. That's that's where I was at. <laughs> and it was always the blue side, too. So That's cool. Oh, the other thing is the dealer's corner. So I went and I saw this tractor, and I was really excited, which was a big mistake, because the guy, he looked like he was around my age. He started to get excited about the tractor he didn't want to sell. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to go back like tomorrow, and is... he's going to be like, uh, my, wife yeah. said I, my wife said I couldn't sell it. <laughs> no, his wife is the like he's having a he's got a kid on the way and his wife's like, "Can you get rid of some junk?" And he had a big he had like two properties and one of them was just like not junk. I mean, he had a lot of vehicles that looked all in working condition and whatnot. Um including his giant beautiful dump truck, like legit dump truck that he uses for work. But 
he didn't really want to sell it, but he's like doing it because his wife told him, and he's like, I listed it thinking I'd it'd take a couple weeks, and I got like thirty messages. Jeez. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, thank God you picked me. <laughs> Yay. So, that confirms at least that I can resell it immediately if I needed to. It's a good sign. I think that's what you should do, Tom. I mean, I'm just just putting it out there. Yeah. So. Tanda, I gotta keep it. Final thoughts. Uh, Tom, if if you want to know, I mean, I like grew up writing on a backhoe with my dad so i can give you you know 10 or 20 good reasons to have a backhoe about if you need them you can call yeah. on me yeah uh, my wife will need them are any of them wife centric uh, yeah i mean if she needs to like put in fence posts or or pull out you know you know shrubs that she doesn't want in a particular area of the yard or something oh, you know the best way to do that shrubs i have to remove best way oh. to do that is with a backhoe yeah i'm gonna go out on a limb and say you should never ride a hose back because it's kind of dangerous. They could be very unpredictable. Costs extra. And that's all I'm going to say about that. PJ, you got anything? I just said it. Don't ride a hose back. I mean, that's... Oh, that's it? Yeah, that, that, that's the advice. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. And now it's time for Ask Old Oswald. Ask me what? Who are you? All right, as always, welcome back, Old Oswald. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he sounds like he's had his vitamins today. So we've got some questions from our listeners. Tanda, do you want to hit Old Oswald with the first question? Sure. I mean, it sounds like he's awake and ready to go. So I think we'll just start off with a question from Universal Woodworker. What's your favorite tongue twister? Well, I guess lemons. Yeah. Lemons are, they're very, they make my mouth do the twisty funny things. I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's the one that I think about. Okay. Yeah, lemons. They'll, they'll twist your tongue sometimes. Uh, I, I like lemonade. It's, it's uh, mm. good. Um, but, well, okay. Well, hey, that's an answer. Tom, you, you want to hit him, mm-hmm. hit him with the next uh, question? Uh, who was that? Who is that from? Was that uh, Universal Woodworker? So, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, we oddly have a, we have a follow-up to that one. It's slightly related from Sigma Woodcraft. How is tongue best prepared? Oswald? Do you, do you have an answer for that? Uh, is he is he talking about like buffalo tongue? You know, I'm not I'm not sure. It it could be Maybe. any kind of tongue. Could be beef tongue or buffalo tongue or Do you do you have a way to prepare tongue, Oswald? I never much liked it myself. I know there's people that that really enjoy eating it, but uh I mean you'd have to ask my wife. She she'd be the cooking, but she doesn't like it either. So I, I don't really have an answer. Uh, uh, well, I guess uh, have someone else do it. Uh, I, I guess that's what I, uh, yeah, yeah.
Uh, well, yeah, I, that that yeah, I'd have somebody else do it too. I don't know how to prepare tongue, Tom. No, I, I I can't say I've ever tried it. I've been somewhere that specializes in it, and it was actually uh, you know, quite good in Sendai, Japan. They're kind of known for it, and uh, it was quite good. Not not to jump the line here, but we do have another food question. If I could go for it, Tom. Yeah, Ben makes KC said since both tomatoes and peppers are technically fruits, does that make salsa spicy fruit salad? What's he talking about? He's he's dancing with fruits. Uh, yes. Yep. I've never danced with a fruit before. I don't I don't know how to answer that kind of questions. Seems like a bunch of nonsense. He needs to talk to a dance instructor. Uh, I I don't I don't think he's talking about dancing oswald he's he's talking about salsa the the stuff that you eat you know with with chips oh that makes more sense uh, wow you're putting spicy fruit on potato chips that doesn't make any sense <sighs> no no oswald not not pota- you know what no, no, we're gonna move on to the next question let's um, i think that's a good idea yeah so um uh sc2h5 creations uh wants to know how do you keep calm when your young children are being a-holes to each other. Well, uh, I mean, that's not hard to do at all. You don't keep calm. You get a switch and you beat the living daylights out of them. That'll take care of everything. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oswald, Oswald, this is, uh... I know we're in the 20s, but I think it's the wrong 20s that you're that you're getting your information from. What are you talking about? Oh, that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah, switch is kind of old-fashioned. You should use a piece of neoprene rope. That's what I had in mind. Yeah. Okay. For those of you that aren't aware, um, a switch is a is a thin branch off of a tree. That's that's what Oswald's talking about. Um, Oswald, people don't do that anymore. Why not? It worked really good. That really did. Uh, beating your kids is kind of frowned upon these days. Who's frowning? I get a switch to them too, and they need a talking to with a stick. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, d- did we have any other questions? Uh, I- I'm- I've kind of lost my place here. I, th- I think that kind of wraps it up. Uh, but uh, my my dad tells a funny story about uh, he had to pick his own switch when he got in trouble. He, ha- he had to go and uh, and decide which switch off of the tree to give his give his mother to beat him with. Well, um, that's uh, I-, I don't have an answer to that. But uh, I see we do have two more questions here from uh, from our listeners. Uh, Ed's Cloxamore wants to know why are apartments called apartments when they are stuck together? Shouldn't they be called compartments? <laughs> Oswald, um, you, you know what apartments are, right? Well, of course I know what they are. I'm not daft. I have TV, you know. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, a compartment is what you got in uh, in your toolbox, you know, or separating stuff and. Uh, I don't. I don't think anybody would want to get stuffed in a toolbox. That sounds con- uncomfortable, unless there was a really big toolbox or a really small person. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Oswald does. Oswald. Uh, is that the answer? Did I think he? I think he nodded off. He, he's still there, and his like his mic's still live. Oswald. Oswald. Who is? What time is it? Uh, it's. Don't don't worry about it. We're, we're almost done, Oswald. Um, t- Tom, did you want to hit him with the the last question? Yeah, this is from Function by Design. What is the ultimate question to life, the universe, and everything? Oh, that's easy. Is there any pie left over? That's the question I always want to know. 
that's that's solid advice. I, 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 you can take that to the bank. I got to agree. That's that's always a good question to ask. Yeah. So um, that's that's all the questions we've got from listeners. Um, Thanks, Oswald. Yeah, thank you for coming back on, Oswald. We really appreciate you taking time out of your uh, busy schedule on the farm. Oh, yeah. No problem. Oh, now I want some pie. Oh, you come back to the studio next time. We have 42 pieces left over. That sounds about right. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. I think we might have tuckered old Oswald out. I need a nap. <laughs>